For Spurs fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best Tottenham videos and podcasts, download the free Coys app now from the App Store and Google Play. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Come On You Spurs podcast. My name's Dan Tracy and I'll be your host for the next 45 minutes or so as we talk all things Tottenham. Because win or lose, we'll discuss the news. It's three up top this evening and that means leading the line from the front around the captain's armband is Carl. So Carl, how have things been since we spoke a week ago? Yeah, pretty good, mate. Looking forward for this international break to be over because, to be honest with you, I don't think anyone's interested in them at the moment. Um, so looking forward to getting back to some normal football this weekend. Yes, mate, aren't we all? We're not there yet, but thankfully we've got a good episode to fill that buffer. And James, you're back from your scouting trip. So how have you been since we spoke a fortnight ago? Yeah, it goes very fast. Uh, it's good to be back. Um, as, as Carl says, hopefully we, we can uh, get some Tottenham chat out of the way. Because uh, it's been a you know a lot of boring England chat, so yeah, good good to be back talking Tottenham. Top man, and also making his return to the show tonight is Brendan from the Cheese Room podcast. So Brendan, it's been a couple of months I think since we last spoke, but how have you been? And are you looking forward to your second run out of the season? <laughs> Hi Dan, thanks for having me back. Hi Carl. Hi James. Uh, yeah, good mate. Yeah, it's good to be back. And similarly to the other guys, been um, missing the Spurs chat because of the international break, but um, looking forward to getting back into it. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me back on. Not a problem, mate. So there's no tell us about yourself this week because everyone knows about each other at the moment. So we've exhausted that idea for now. Do feel free to suggest any other quickfire concepts that we can do. And, um, you know, hopefully we might launch another one in the next sort of few weeks or so. But that's not important. What is important is the social media bit. So we get them out of the way first and then we can dissect Harry Redknapp and more in full. As always, don't forget to subscribe to the Coming New Spurs app where the podcast will be available each and every Tuesday morning. You can, of course, follow us across social media. We're on Twitter at CIS underscore COM. And we're on all the major audio platforms. That's Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, etc. If we're not on one, let us know. We'll get it on there for you. Right, let's get down to business. And that business, Carl, is a little looser in terms of format this week as we're going to discuss all the thoughts and memories that people have been kind enough to send in over the last few days. And it's insights that we can all share regarding a certain Harry Redknapp. Now, before we talk about him precisely, we need to sort of just discuss a month or two before, and how this all started. So, it did start, the 2008-9 season, quite optimistic, some might say. I remember we pumped Roma 5-0 in a friendly, and everyone's thinking, yes, this is it. Fast forward, what, eight weeks, it was an absolute disaster. So where did it all go wrong first for one day Ramos? I think, unfortunately, wasn't it? You know, he came in, um, <clears throat> you know, tried to do these sort of things of get rid of tomato ketchup and stuff like that. Um and I think what you probably found is at that time, you know, a lot of players just weren't buying into stuff like that, were they? Um, and obviously, I think it was Jonathan Woodgate, um, I think, has gone on record at the time saying that when Ramos was sacked, um, the morale, he had said the morale at the club was even worse than the lead side that he was in that got relegated. Um, so I think you kind of get a picture there of how the players and that were feeling of having Ramos as manager. Um, so you kind of think it must have been, you know, the atmosphere around the dressing room, the players, the whole club itself must have been a pretty, pretty low point um, for the morale or Jonathan to feel that it was worse than when he played in the lead side that got relegated. Um, and I think once you obviously you get to that point and, and the feelings are that bad, I think as a chairman, you're pretty left with only one option to take. And I think, you know, say two points after eight games in that season spelled the end and, and clearly showed that we were a club 
if the decision that had been made to get rid of, rid of Ramos at that time, we possibly could have had a really bad season on our hands. Um, but thankfully, you know, we brought Harry in and then the rest is history, as they say. But I think for Ramos, it probably just was one of those instances. He was probably trying to do too many things that the players didn't really like. Man management wasn't at its best. Uh, and as we saw, you know, if you bring a man in who can have the right man management, it, it can have a massive effect, effect on the team and the start moving you in the right direction. So, James, how old would have you been at the start of All Things Red now? Because this is 12 years ago, last month. So what's the maths there? Uh, that makes me about 11. Oh, 11. Um, so, I mean, I guess you could say that's that's an age where, I, I mean, I've been football mad my whole life. So I guess that's the age where I started to actually understand um, what was actually going on on the pitch and what was actually going on at Tottenham. So, you know, I, my, I know it, sound, it might sound hilarious to you guys, but my, my, one of my first Tottenham memories was actually um, Martin Yol being sacked at, at half-time, supposedly, against Getafe. That, that's, that's honestly one of the, the, the first things I think of when I think about Tottenham uh, and, and me at, at the start of my Tottenham supporting age. And uh, and you know, Juan de Ramos. That's that's a, obviously a, a that's a big era f- for me. I, f- I think there's a lot of a lot of things happen there that that will stick with me for for obviously the rest of my life because it's it's what really really cemented that that passion and that love for supporting Tottenham. So even though it was a bit of a topsy turvy era for Spurs, it, it's one that that will will obviously live in the memory for for myself. Some some very special players that. Were, might might not be considered special in terms of their footballing ability, but certainly, um, certainly for myself, I think they're you know some great great players in that team. That are, you know they're the, they're the posters that I had on my wall. Um, you know your, your Pascal Chimbondas and, and your uh, Didier Zakora, they're the kind of players that that I'll I'll be uh, dropping at hopefully at, at pub quizzes in in years to come because they're the players that I remember uh, so vividly. Of course, Brennan, you're a little more senior than James, so you would have seen a little bit more in terms of a Tottenham lifespan. So when Tottenham needed that early season salvation back in 2008, did you think at the time Redknapp was the man who could turn what was, at the time, a very rudderless ship around? Yeah, I think he was the natural choice at the time. He uh, he was due a sort of big job. He'd been in the game for so long. And I think it was exactly what was needed. We needed the sort of arm round the shoulder approach was so low on confidence and Redknapp is that that sort of manager his, his qualities lie in in man management and so when he came in it was it was no surprise he uh, he really wanted the job and uh, I think he and Levy Levy had a quite a good relationship uh, already uh, from from hearing interviews from him and stuff so uh, it was it was the natural possession I was quite happy that he uh, he joined and, and I knew that he would steady the ship, as you said. We were, we were rudderless. We were sort of lacking in ideas and confidence. And he came in and, and almost immediately sorted it out. So it was, a, it was a good appointment. OK, there is so much to talk about the Redknapp era, good and bad. And, and hope, sorry, good and bad. And hopefully we'll sort of do all of that across the next hour or so. So there's a few notions I want to throw into the mix. And I've got something here. It's not really a question, more of a statement about my point of view on all things Redknapp. So for me, the 2009-10 season was my favourite ever season as a Tottenham supporter. Yes, we've had, you could argue, better, bigger days under Potch, but that season, I just felt that Tottenham were were a club, sorry, that were finally on the up and up, that we had such a lacklustre showing in the Premier League since its inception that you sort of thought, really, like, is this a team that's ever going to go anywhere? Fast forward to that season, and we broke the glass ceiling, and by doing that, there wasn't really the frustration that followed under Potch that we're not spending enough money, 
you know, Levy, Edith, none of that was really an issue, or if it was, it wasn't as prevalent as it was 12, 18 months ago. There was this sort of freshness, exciting to it, and almost a bit of naivety. So for me, it sort of resonates a lot more than what we've had in the past sort of five years. Not to say that, you know, that's not to be diminished in any way, but I just felt there's something, yeah, something exciting about it, and, you know, this is where the project was going to go over the next sort of 10 years. Carl, is that a fair statement to make? It doesn't have to be your favourite season, but can you see the kind of point I'm trying to make here? Yeah, I think so. Um, and as I've said before, you know, lots, you know, lots of credit I think has to go to Joel um, before him because I think mean, Martin was. Well, you could see suddenly we became a side that became a little bit more consistent, and, and suddenly we're pushing the top four or so on a more regular basis. And you could really see that. Well, yeah, a few players here, and I think we've got a side that could really sort of push finally, as you say, to break that glass ceiling. Um, but it never quite happened for him. Obviously, one day came in, won us the League Cup, and you kind of thought, right, OK, here we go. And then it fizzled. But as you say, when Redknapp came in in that season where we did break that glass ceiling, you really felt there was a bit of a buzz. You know, we had a great side, didn't we? You had Modric in midfield, you know, Crouch, Defoe, um, you know, Berbatov and Keane um, before them. And you really felt we did have a great side um, developing and like, as you say, you suddenly felt confident that when the season came round, you're thinking, yeah, I think we could push these top guys and give them a real run for their money. I still think, obviously, we felt we may not have enough to go all the way in terms of winning the title. You know, we've kind of always felt we're a little bit short of that getting over the hurdle step. But I think, as you say, that season and that side, you really had some confidence finally that, yeah, listen, I think we've got a side here that can go places. And we were playing some exciting football, some great attacking stuff. Um, and, and I think we thoroughly deserved that top four. And like, as you say, you know, no one will forget that night at the Etihad um, and Crouch scoring that goal to get us over the line. Uh, and it just felt that the club was moving in the right direction. And you, for once, thought, listen, you know, we could be starting to go places here. So, so I would agree with everything you've said there, Dan. Thanks, mate. So, James, our good friend Patrick has been kind enough to sort of give his input to this. And he sort of says that without the building blocks that Redknapp makes, you don't get what Potts then does. And I know Cole also intimated that on Twitter. So we'll come back to you in a bit, Cole. But I just want to get James's take because Patrick has said that Redknapp finished in the Champions League places twice, although it only paid out once because of all things Chelsea 2012 and all that. So he feels overall his tenure was quite impressive, almost a success. Is that something that you would share? Yeah, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. And uh, I, I think the the thing about Redknapp is, like so many of, of, of uh, the other Tottenham managers that we, we'll, we'll go on to discuss, I think he probably suffered from a, from a lack of financial backing and, and in terms of getting the players that he wanted and, uh, and, and really getting to a point where we could kick on and then not kicking on. You know, you, you think of... That that infamous transfer window, the you know the Ryan Nelson and Luis Saha transfer window, you know that that was really a point where we were performing in the Champions League, we were performing in the Premier League, and you know that was probably the time where we should have been looking at bringing in top class players with the attraction of of good quality football at a high level, and we we didn't do that. We didn't bring in the players that that could have taken us to that next level, and and subsequently we we sold. Uh, we lost important players and we, and we dropped off and we kind of not had to start again, um, but we certainly had to had to rebuild the, the team in a different way. Um, and, you know, we as a club, we've we've really benefited from 
a couple of well a, a number of breakthrough superstars who who have who have really carried us and and you know that that season it was it was Bale uh, going forward even even players you know they're they're not big household names anymore but Ben Stelab and Mason and under Pochettino they were two players that that came through and and did really well for us for a season carried us again. And now, obviously, we've got the likes of Deli Ali, Harry Kane, who who, have, who are who are supposedly carrying us again. So, I, I think it's it's a difficult one because we haven't. I don't think Tottenham have ever been quite as stable as as we are right now with the squad that we've got right now. I'd say that we're we're more stable. We're less reliant on individuals. Um, so it's a brand new situation for us to be in. But in terms of Redknapp, I think yeah, he he certainly set us up. Um, go, going forward, we we were a, a force in Europe, which is something that we hadn't been for for a long time. Uh, and I think he could have been even more successful if if he had got that financial backing and and got the top class players that we we should have been attracting when we were playing at that level. Um, I think a, a lot of Tottenham Tottenham managers have 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 had to deal with Daniel Levy and and have fallen by the wayside due due to that. And I think Redknapp is is definitely one of them. Well, Brendan, I guess if we look at the line of succession, shall we say, we should also go back the other way. And Martin Yole and Martin Ashton from Twitter has thrown this name into the frame. And he qualifies it by saying that for him, it was the first time in an eternity that there was a real affinity again between fans and the rest of the team. If you take the, the reins of terror of Joe Francis, Christian Gross, George Graham, even Glenn Hoddle, which was a real disappointment, you know, at that point, once they were out of the way, we get Martin Yo in and we started playing football again. So if we're saying that Poch was helped by Redknapp, is it fair to say that Redknapp was also helped by Martin Yo? Absolutely. I agree with the comment there from Twitter that the Yo era was was an era of stability. And it was almost as if sort of it was we fell, fell upon the appointment because he, he was supposed to be number two to Jacques Santini, who only lasted a couple of weeks, months, months tops. Um, so he was kind of got the job, but but he immediately took it on and got us that consistency, got a really really good system going, and and we we, we saw us climb up the league, and finally uh, Daniel Levy had, had made a successful managerial appointment. Um, the way as I think it was Carl that said or James sorry that said the way he was sacked was disgraceful, and I think that um, Juan de Ramos not working out was probably karma for for Daniel Levy and that. Uh, the way that that he dealt with with Martin Yol, uh, but yeah, huge credit has to go to to Yol, and and that team was was superb as well. I sort of the the, the standout memory for me of the Yol era was um, Huddleston's goal against City. For some reason, it just sticks in the mind. The sort of half volley, a beautiful, beautifully struck goal, um, and yeah, and, and certainly did set up um, the team. I mean, Ramos was sadly a a, a bit of a say so we call it a disaster he's the last manager to win us a trophy but um it, it wasn't going well so um but you certainly did give us a, give us an identity uh, which Redknapp was able to, to to take on okay just a couple of additional twitter comments here so at london wood says the new period in inverted commas was started by Yol, and then harry took on the baton there at marlow avenue agrees with what carl said on twitter that if harry doesn't start the champions league process we don't get the goodness with potch so, Carl, for people who didn't read your tweet, can you just sort of confirm what you said earlier in the week? So, I think, I think obviously, you know, we, we, I think after, you know, I think it was after Poch, wasn't it? Did he sky a bit? You know, a lot of people came out and saying, like, you know, is Poch a Spurs legend? Um, 
and the one thing that kind of frustrated me the more and more we saw people tweeting was there were quite a few tweets where people were saying, you know, Poch is, Poch is the man that's kind of put spurs on the map and got us recognised. And I kind of felt that was unfair to Harry Redknapp because for me, you know, listen, Poch, we all love Poch and every all of us do. We have a real kind of strong feeling for that side and the seasons that we had under him. But I think we should remember, you know, that, and also there was a claim that, you know, our Poch took us from mid-table to suddenly top four candidates. And I felt that was kind of really harsh on Redknapp because, you know, Poch didn't take over a mid-table side, that's for sure. You know, he took one over that was quite often challenging within the top five or four or six. Um, you know, he wasn't, he didn't pick up a side finishing 10th, 11th, 12th. Um, and in theory, you know, I think Redknapp was the man who probably put us on the map when it comes to Europe, because you think of that, you know, qualifying for the Champions League for the first time, um, you know, that great Champions League run that season under him with Van der Vaart, Modric, Bao, Crouch, Pavlichenko, all doing bits that they were doing, you know, getting to the quarterfinal the way we did, you know, you had the great comeback or almost comeback at Inter Milan uh, being, you know, you know, the Bao hat trick tearing into Milan apart at White Hart Lane. And I kind of feel that, you know, it, it was really harsh. And and if we were giving Poch such high praise, I kind of feel Redknapp's time at the club probably is up there on a similar level with Poch and what Poch did. When you consider the side Redknapp took over, you know, again, like as we say, you had a team that had two points from the first eight games. And then within two weeks under Harry Redknapp, we'd got 10 points out of 12 available to us. We climb the ladder, you know, that first season under him, we get to a cup final, unfortunately, you know, lose to United on penalties the next season. We break that top four and then we go on a Champions League run. And as you say, he kept us up there challenging. We get that top four spot again, only to have the most Spursy thing happen that can happen. And that's Chelsea beat Bayern Munich in their own stadium, um, having none of the ball all night. But you just knew it was going to happen because of the repercussions. Um, and you then think, as James touched on there earlier, you know, this was a manager that again had us in a title challenge at one point only to again suffer the frustrations and not being backed in a transfer window the way he could have been um, and things fiddles, fizzles out. So for me, I feel if you look, if, you know, if we're looking as fondly on Potch's era, I think I'd look just as fondly on that Redknapp era because some of the football we played at that point, again, I think you'll find pundits that would say to you, watching Tottenham during that era was a pleasure because that was just attacking football at its purest, a side that had such great players in it. And for me, you know, if people want to label Potter legend, then I think, you know, you'd have to give Harry Redknapp at least the same status. James, what would you like to add to that, please? Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with, with everything that Carl said there. I think... For me, especially, it was an era. Again, it's it's an era that is has a real special place in my heart because because I'd never seen Tottenham play the way that they were playing. Um, I think we were we were a favourite with the neutral for a long time as well because of the the football that we played. And and to me, that's that's a nice thing to to be. You know, I I could never imagine supporting. I know I, I gave Burnley a bit of a hard time last time I was on the pod. Um, talking about how I just wouldn't, I wouldn't want to watch my football team play football the way they play football, and I, I think that that's that links in here because I was I was proud of the way Tottenham play football under Redknapp. I, I was I liked the fact that people who didn't 
necessarily like Tottenham or support Tottenham were, were saying that they loved the way that we played. Playing with exciting players like like Bale and, and playing with, with players like Aaron Lennon as well, you know, it was it was just a, a team that kind of got got bums out of seats and, and got you watching. And some of the performances that we put in on, under Redknapp, you know, it's it, they're going to live live long in the memory. You know, you think of Pochettino, you, you probably think of Ajax because that was the the best night in in our history. Well, in our in our recent history, but then you think of the Redknapp era. There's so many. You know, from from even just that one Champions League campaign, you've got you know, Bale in the San Siro, Crouch in the San Siro. There's there's so many amazing performances in that run. You know, the the three one night into Milan at White Hart Lane. I'm sure many a people would say that that was their their favourite ever night at the Lane. So I, I think that that's definitely an era that we can look back on really really fondly. And and whether it was successful or, or you know or not. You know that might be up for debate, but I think it was it was a great time to be supporting Spurs and and really thoroughly enjoyable. Brendan, do you think Redknapp gets overlooked in conversations such as this because he's not a fashionable man to hail as a legend? You know his role, his demeanour is a wheeler dealer. That's how we all sort of know him in the media. He's an affable chap and all this kind of stuff, but he's not a fancy foreign manager. He doesn't have that sort of um, a law around him. So is he sort of? hoisted by his own baton, and I guess does himself a disservice. Perhaps, yeah. I, I was uh, similarly to, to James and, and everyone here. I loved that era. It, I, I fell back in love with Spurs when Redknapp was manager. Everything about him, his interviews post-match were, were just great. And, and potches weren't, I'll be honest. And, and the, the way we played, it, like the, this word swashbuckling was used a lot. And I just love that word. I love that word. And it, there's nowhere that word can be used negatively. We were playing swashbuckling football. Did we win every game? No. But it was exciting. And yeah, it was it was a great time. And, and you saw the results that we got. You referred to the the 2010 season, 2009, 2010 season, where we had back-to-back wins against the Gooners and Chelsea. Like, how often had that happened in the previous 20 years? So he deserved a lot of credit. Did he, did he win anything? That's always going to be the the monkey on his back, as as it will be with Poch. So I don't know what defines a legend managerial-wise these days. Uh, if you don't win anything, does that mean you're not a legend? I don't know. I, I just think that I just know that uh, at that time, he the, the shackles came off. He gave us freedom. He gave us identity. And and yet, yeah, had he been backed financially, we probably could have gone on and and won a title. We got to the FA Cup semi final, I think, in that season as well, losing to Portsmouth. Kevin Prince Boateng gets his revenge. Um, but I, I'll always look back on that that era very fondly because. Some of the games were, were were immense, and so I'd certainly hold Harry up there in in high regard. But legendary status, I guess, is everyone has their own opinions. I was just about to ask about the 2010 FA Cup semi final. I must admit, I've never watched a minute of it because I was listening to it on the radio coming back from a lads' weekend at the Grand National, and I just thought, well, we've lost now. I never need to see a clip. So, Carl, that aside, how frustrating was it not to win silverware in that season? Yeah, you know, I mean, obviously that that was one of those seasons where you really felt that, you know, if we got past Portsmouth, then then the, the, you like to think the cup was going to be ours. Um, and, you know, going into that semi-final, I think that was a case where, 
you know, again, I always sit there and say, when you're a Spurs fan, you probably never feel confident going into a game. You know, if someone was to say to you, oh, easy three points next week, you'd go, listen, this is Spurs you're talking about. There's never an easy three points on the table. But again, I think, you know, that was one of those games, you know, we went into that semi-final thinking, hey, listen, we'll win this. No, you know, we, we've got the better side. We're going to do this. Um, and then to come away having lost the way we did, you know, I think you have the first goal, Michael Dawson, unfortunately slips that allows them in. But we never played the way we really could have done on that day. And again, it is one of them that you look back with frustration and just think, oh, you know, that was ours. You know, that cup should have been ours that day. Um, and it reminds me of the season under Potch when we have United in the semi at Wembley. And you're thinking we're playing at Wembley week in, week out. You know, we've got the better side. United are not playing great. And then again, that day, you know, we go and let ourselves down when you really were thinking it just felt like our name was on the cup that season. Um, and that was just another one of those one of those night or days where you just felt, wow, you know, how have we managed to blow this? But again, that is the curse lately, isn't it, for us, unfortunately. But I'm like you, Dan, I've never watched a minute of that semi-final since that day, watching it live. Um, and it's probably a game I'd never actually want to ever put on again, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, sorry for bringing up those memories then. But James, in terms of <laughs> Red Nats body of work, in terms of league, posi- league positions, 8th, 4th, 5th, 4th. Now that 8th is probably the, the outlier, but from where he took over and where we were, even that was a successful season relative to performance and all that, but he almost snatched Europe in that season. So really, bar you know, winning trophies and the stature of the club and where we were at, he couldn't have done much more, could he? No, and, and I reiterate, with, with very little financial backing as well, um, you know, I, I, I might be completely wrong here, but I don't even think players like Luka Modric were, were like, you know, a, a player that everyone in Europe wanted. I, you know, again, we've we've kind of come across a, a sixteen million pound gem there that turned out to be a world class player. Um, and but I, I don't think Redknapp could have done much more. Obviously, we, we were there were rumours of of Europe and and you know it, it was where we wanted to be under under Martin Yarl and, and and then Ramos and but under, under Redknapp the top four really became became everything to us and. Uh, you know, as, as we alluded to earlier, that that night against Manchester City, that that's a night that's that everyone's going to remember because it was kind of a moment that we'd we'd all been waiting for for so long. And then and then it was it was just great that we managed to to really step up when when we actually did play in the Champions League. You know, not not only were we working towards that fourth place position and and securing it in in great style. Then we we actually stepped up and and we weren't just prove we weren't just there to make up the numbers in in the season that we were playing in the Champions League, and we you know that was that's a season that, that a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of people sat up and noticed Tottenham and and Redknapp can can take a lot of the credit for that because you know you know that that league positions alone you know he he's the one who uh, who really who drove us towards that top four and and uh, and we owe him a lot certainly um, yeah a, a great a great manager for Spurs. Um, and and as as we've already said, I think we we probably could have kicked on, yeah, even more. But you know, it's it, it's yeah, it's it's all hindsight. You know, you never know. Louis Saha might have rekindled his old form and become the the Premier League top goal scorer. But uh, but yeah, it was it wasn't to be. Brendan, talking of that game against Man City at the Etihad, was that one 0 win the high watermark of Red Knapp's tenure at Tottenham? 
It was certainly one of the most, uh, the happiest moments for me as a Spurs fan, because I think you mentioned I'm a bit older than the new guys. So I used to go to games mid-90s up until around 2000. The Champions League was was a distant, distant dream um, back then. So that night, like I was actually, as you know, I'm in Brazil. So I I was working because we're four hours behind the UK, but I was sort of following it online and uh when the full-time whistle went i just just jumping around the office it was um it was a great moment and i think yeah that will probably be uh, not just in harry's legacy but in the history of the club's legacy like this is the first time that we've qualified for the champions league in its uh, current format uh, so he deserves huge credit for that and uh, the, the team that he built was was one that that needed investment but one that was so exciting um so yeah certainly that that night against City. This was just at the beginning of the, the Sheikh Mansour um, uh, sort of era at, at City. So they were, we knew that they were they were becoming a force. So this was probably our last chance to to, to get one over on them. Um, and yeah, had had Chelsea not uh, won it that the, the other time that we, we came fourth, um, again, he, he couldn't have been sacked. He, that was when he was sacked. And I'm sure we'll get onto that. Um, but yeah, that, that night against City was... That was certainly up there for, for me in terms of one of the happiest moments in my Spurs supporting life. James, one player that Redknapp never seemed to take to was David Bentley. Now, the high point of his Spurs career was that stunning volley in the 4-4 against Arsenal at the Emirates. Do you think his Spurs career was all but done when he poured the drinks vessel over Redknapp at Man City? I mean, f- first of all, I'm going to disagree on David Bentley's uh, high point. I think I think you, you mentioned it earlier, that pre-season game against Roma. Well, yeah, yeah. I think that, that was a that was a high point for him. I think he, I think he did he bag a couple in that game. I think he did, he yeah. A, he scored a free kick as well, I think. And I think we all thought we'd we'd we had we had the next David Beckham on our hands. But yeah, I think there's there's obviously the myth going around that uh that when Bentley dumped the uh the ice bucket on Redknapp's head in his in and danced around in his underpants that that he was he was done from that minute. Um, I think in reality what it was was that that David Bentley just wasn't a great footballer, uh, and that he, you know, he was never going to succeed as a modern day winger because he didn't have the have the pace to succeed there. But yeah, I think there's so many players like that that you know you've got me smiling from ear to ear because players like that have really a, a nostalgia for for myself. I mean, you guys may, maybe not so much, but you know, they're they're the kind of players that I I. I I kind of grew up watching and and grew up loving, even though they they might not have been the, the best players in the world. And uh, and yeah, we again, you never know. David David Bentley might have gone on to to be something special if uh, if he if he'd adapted himself. But but obviously, uh, it, it wasn't to be. And Carl, one of the players that really got things going during Redknapp's time was Raphael Van der Vaart. Now he loved a goal against Arsenal, but do you think we sold him a little bit too early? Yeah, I, I think so. And, and I think though, you know. Re- Rafa has come out and said, hasn't he, you know, um, since that he wishes he, he never left when he did because, you know, I don't think his career just went downhill from there, didn't he? didn't reach those heights again. Um, and he really was a heartbeat of the team when he was playing for us. So I, I was gut utterly disappointed when he left because he was a great midfielder. Yes, you know, he, he couldn't see out a 90-minute game, you know. Yeah, lots of people will sit there today and say to you, yeah, but, you know, he could only last 70 minutes. 
But to be honest, that in those 70 minutes, that guy normally had won you the game by scoring a couple or setting up at least two goals. I mean, he you know, he got a great relationship going with Peter Crouch at one point where the minute he nodded the ball down, you know, Van der Vaart just seemed to be there ready to smash one home. Um, and I think, you know, at the time, you know, we had Bow coming through, didn't we? And as James said earlier, you know, Lennon, Pace and Modric. But Van der Vaart really was one of our favourites because he, he took the club, he embraced it, didn't he? He got, he, he got the passion. And like as you say, when he came to play in Arsenal, he, he loved sticking one to them. Um, and again, another game under Redknapp that you can't help but always want to remember and look at again was that victory, uh, you know, at the Emirates oh, against yes. Arsenal. Two down at half time. We were utterly dreadful, and you're thinking this could get ugly. And we come out in the second half, you know, score two, and then nick it right at the death with a cabal header. Uh, and it was just that sort of football, wasn't it? You know, you had games like that where at half time you could be, you know, kicking your cat or something like that. You know, you know, I said this is ridiculous. What's Red Nap doing? And then all of a sudden, you know, the second half you come out and blitz the team and come away thinking, what football I've just watching at 45 minutes um, but Rafa was a Rafael was a massive part of that team um, and he was a great player for us and I do think unfortunately we got rid of him earlier than we should have but again I think as I say he, he probably I think he was pushing for a move himself and I think he probably wishes he never went as well and if he'd stayed you know we, we might not have had the horror start if you like to the following season that we did. Well, let's look at the horror end for Redknapp. We've got some comments to run through later, but I want to do them after we sort of talked about the, I guess, sadder end to his time at Tottenham. So I guess it all starts really from the start of 2012. Brendan, we talk about transfer windows and lack of activity, and this has been a constant theme for Tottenham for a while, you know, notwithstanding the summer. But when you look at Ryan Nelson and Louis Sahar coming in, Aidan Triggs on Twitter says that that's peak Redknapp, but how much peak Redknapp is that really? Is that more peak Enoch? Well, that's a good, a good point. And I recently did a, a Zoom with, with Harry Redknapp, uh, part of the Graham Roberts um, charity Zooms. And that, that question came up and he said that um, he was never in for Tevez. Because the, the, the rumour was that we wanted he, want, he wanted Tevez and Cahill and he got um, Ryan Nelson and Saha. Um, so... It's Enoch, yeah. I don't think that... Obviously, Harry will want the highest quality players that he can, but he's also working within the, the structures that, that we have in place under Enoch. So um, it was a shame that, that we, we didn't get the superstars that, that could have helped us kick on. Saha didn't really work out. I don't know how, how many times Nelson, Ryan Nelson played. Um, but yeah, I think the, the beginning of the end for him was when the England job came up. And he... Um, I think he he deserved. I wouldn't have begrudged him going to the England setup. I think he he deserved it. He was at the, the the end of his his managerial career, and why not? It would be who's that? He's that sort of guy, you know, where the England job would mean so much to him. But Levy didn't like it. Levy didn't like the fact that he was going to the press and flirting with with the job uh, because he was the favourite. And I was surprised he didn't get it. And and I think that was those two factors uh, were key in uh, the beginning of the end for, for Redknapp. Now, James, Flembo889, he says that 
his best performance that he ever saw for Tottenham under the Redknapp era was the 5-0 demolition of Newcastle in February 2012, a game that Louis Sahar scored. So how many memories have you got of that one? Yeah, it's one of those games that, that sticks out. We were so good that, that night. And we, you know, we actually, I think we went with two up top. I think we started with Sahar and Adibayor and I think they both got two each. Um, and, and again, that's that's just the night where, where everything clicked for us. And I think Newcastle were, were pretty bad that, that night, I seem to remember. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, I think it, it kind of reflected. Um, but, you know, that, 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 that was just the way we played at that, that time. We, we completely overwhelmed teams uh, and we had some, some unbelievable talent in the, in the side. It's just a shame that we, we couldn't keep that up. Uh, week in week out um, but you know that's that's another another game that, that sticks out uh, in the memory we, we were we were so good I think we put f- either four goals past them in the, in the first half and and you know but it's just, it's just a shame we couldn't play like that every week and you know Brendan's absolutely right there it's it's such a shame that that it ended that way with with Red Knapp but he's you know I think it would have we no one would have would have uh would have batted an eyelid if he did take the England job. I think we were all kind of resigned to losing him to England. Um, but but Daniel Livy is Daniel Livy, and and that's that's just the way it goes. And it's a, it's a shame, but you know I, I think we we evolved as a club after that as well. So uh, mm. you know you, you you can't say that that Redknapp took us took us as far as as he could because you're right he, he could have had a bit more backing. But I think the club probably needed to to evolve and and. Uh, it's the same as, as as the Pochettino argument. I think Pochettino maybe could have taken us a bit further, but didn't. And and the, you know there comes a time where you need to freshen things up and change things up. And yeah, I think that that was the case with Redknapp as well as it was with Pochettino. Now, Cole at Fleetwood Mac eighty one says he has fond memories. I would imagine memories that we've shared in these first thirty five minutes or so. But there's a big but. He can't accept the fifteen point collapse to finish behind Arsenal when we did. So. I think we went through a period that season where we won just three in 13. And for him, and I think for anyone, that's unacceptable when we're so desperate to finish above Arsenal and then you know the circumstances that followed thereafter. So a real negative end to his uh, Tottenham tenure in terms of league football, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, and, and it, you know, it's right. You know, When you've got a 13-point gap and suddenly that starts getting eroded away and eroded away and suddenly you end up falling behind that team, as you say, quite rightly, you are sitting there saying, well, something's clearly wrong because, you know, you should never be losing that sort of buffer. Um, but at the same time, you know, again, like as you say, it just showed that I think at that point the writing was on the wall, wasn't it? You know, I think too much had then gone on, you know, as we say, the, the farce with the England job, the court cases, I think, which then took yeah. a lot out of Harry at the time. You know, he had so much going on there. Um, and although he still should have had his eye on the ball football-wise, it's easy to see why there were distractions going on that were probably causing problems in and around the camp. Um, but let's not forget, you know, every manager can have that and and that you shouldn't necessarily let that define the whole era under someone because we could sit there and say, as I say, say the same about Potch when we finished third in a two-horse race, you know, losing on the last day to Newcastle, um, a team that had had a man sent off and were aside relegated and eventually finishing third um, and letting Arsenal catch us um, that season. But it, it was at that point, it was clear that you were sitting there saying there's something going wrong here. Um, and that was just, I think, the final now in the coffin at that point. And as I say, I think it was those, Kate Cork, those court cases and that England interest that I think 
Daniel then started thinking, I, I might need to make a change here and bring someone new in because I, th- I think it's just gone, you know, that that desire and that may have just dwindled away. Um, and and to, be, to be fair to Daniel at that point, you probably could sit there and say it was perfect timing because I don't think, again, after that, Harry never really went on anywhere else to kind of get that same um, managerial, um, if you like, vibe and feeling going where he's, you know, he didn't then go on and suddenly take a team to even more heights than us. I think we were his peak um, and he could have achieved probably more with us. But at the point where you know he started fading away, it was actually his career was starting to fade away at that point as well. With that in mind, Brendan... The fact that he never really did anything of note afterwards, you know, fleeting jobs here and there. Do you reckon he was just so deflated that, A, he got the chop from Tottenham in the way he did, he didn't get the England job, you know, you sort of think that's a couple of gut punches that are hard to recover from and you can pretty much understand why his career almost sort of fizzled out there afterwards? Uh, yes and no. I mean, the the character that he had, I don't think he'd, he'd, he's the type of person to dwell on stuff. Like, he, he seemed quite stoic after the sack and sort of gave a few interviews where he's like, look, I still get on very well with with Daniel Levy and with the club, uh, they've just decided to go in a different direction. And I think it had sort of run its course. Uh, Levy always wanted to have the sort of sexy foreign manager model. And Harry Redknapp was the antithesis to that. Uh, but I don't think that he he minded too much. So he went to QPR afterwards and did okay there. But yeah, certainly we were the biggest job that he had. Um, and I don't think that he overly dwelled on it. I think he uh, he, he probably looks back fondly and proudly as he should he, he did a, a good job uh, everything being considered um just it just didn't work out at the end but I, i'm i'm very grateful for what he gave the club and i'm sure he he feels proud james i've got a raft of points for nigel johnson i think some of them we've covered so i'll pick up this one he says that red was tactically poor and he offers this example being two lap at the emirates and then getting thumped five two so is that naivety? Is that a fair label to hand to the man? Because sometimes, you know, as Brendan said, you can be swashbuckling, and that's the, the good side of it. But at the same time, that's almost a double-edged sword. Because when you're swashbuckling, you can get caught out, as in that example. So, you know, how far and how unfair is that uh, comment to be made in Harry's direction? Yeah, I think it's I think it's pretty unfair. Um, I, I think you obviously can't can't judge a man who who's been in football management for for a couple of centuries to. You know, to say that he's he has he hasn't got a, a tactical any tactical awareness just because he you know he went on to lose a game. Uh, you know, there's, uh, the best managers ever have, have have been on the wrong side of a of a hiding. So it's it's a bit of an unfair thing to say. I mean, that game in particular, we we, we were brilliant for, from the start. You know, we I think we we managed to put away our first two chances. So um, you know, I think I, I, we got unlucky with a, with a couple of goals, I believe. Um, but I think Arsenal Arsenal turned on the style and 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 you know they they deservedly won that game. They exploited uh, our, our weaknesses and 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 eventually I think it was when Robbie Van Persie was in in you know absolute brilliant form. I think he bagged that free kick that was absolutely unstoppable. Um, so I think it's harsh to say that that it was down all down to tactics and. I think uh, again something that a lot of Tottenham managers have have suffered uh, from is is that we we didn't have the depth in the squad to to be able to change things up and be able to twist up the tactics. You know, you you look at your starting eleven and you think that's you know that's good, that's very solid, but there wasn't too much on the bench to to call upon if if things were going wrong. 
especially not in terms of like a, a change of system. So I, I think you know, when when things started to go south, particularly in that game, there's there's not too much that Redknapp could have done, and other than kind of stir the troops and and try and tighten things up. And and at the time, we 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 probably were carrying one or two players that weren't quite up to scratch, uh, especially especially defensively. Um, so yeah, a bit of a harsh comment to say that he, he didn't get his tactics right because you look at look at games like. Uh, AC Milan in the Champions League. I think you, you couldn't have blocked your tactics any any better that night. Uh, we we were tight at the back, and and the one opportunity that we got to break out of defence, you know, Aaron Lennon feeding Peter Crouch, absolutely brilliant, and that that's all we needed to to send us through. You know, that's we got our tactics absolutely spot on that night. So you know, don't you can't judge judge the man on one performance, and I, I think actually he he probably did a pretty good job, which. With with a squad that was you know half brilliant and half maybe not so brilliant. Okay, we've got about fifteen minutes left, so let's sort of work our way through the comments. We don't want to end on a bad note of Harry getting sacked, so let's flip it back and sort of look at the the nicer times and the memories that everyone else has been kind enough to to chip in with. So first up, Trevor Nell, big shout out to Trevor, always chips in. He said that for him it was a period of stability, one that was needed. You know, as we've sort of referenced earlier at the start of the show, and it brought the swagger back to the club. Full of excitement, never a dull day. Is that a fair statement, Cole? Yeah, I, I think so. And, and I think that was the feeling around there, wasn't it? You know, we suddenly had a side that, as we say, the swashbuckling, you know, you always knew this was this wouldn't be a dull game. You know, you can never tune into a Spurs game thinking, oh, I'll probably see some really dour football here. You know, when you consider the previous managers before him, you know, Ramos, um, then, you know, and then some of the managers following him, you know, AVB especially, where you could sit there and go, oh, you know, there was no excitement around watching a Spurs game or you thought, oh, this could be dull. Um, with Harry, it was always, and, and it did have a tendency, it could be one or the other, couldn't it? You know, it could be brilliant because you'd play this amazing football or, you know, unfortunately, yet yeah, there were days where we weren't on it and suddenly, you know, we were on the wrong end of some, some thumpings. But I think for the most part, you were excited to watch Spurs play. And I think that's really what you want out of football, isn't it? You just want to be excited when you're going to watch your team play. And I think Harry's sides always did that. So, James, at Yiddo, Yiddo, Yiddo 1, he says that old-school, end-to-end football, we've shed loads of goals, that more importantly, got White Hart Lane bouncing. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's as Carl says, that, that was, that's why a lot of people go to football. It's why they, it's why they love it. And, and like I said earlier... Um, I think it was it was a great time for the for the neutrals watching Tottenham, and it was and it was great to hear people saying how much they enjoyed watching us play. And and you know, I, 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 as I said earlier, you look at that West Brom performance against us last last week, the uh, the Burnley performance against us a couple of weeks before. I I just I I, I don't want to watch Tottenham play like that. Uh, and and I, and I never did. So you know, even if you do leave yourself maybe a little bit defensively defensively vulnerable, I think it's it's the Tottenham way to play with to play with a bit of flair and and try and outscore your opposition. And I, I think you know if, if whether that's going to be successful or not, I, I, that's the big debate whether to be a little bit more pragmatic and 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 try and win every game. Uh, I, I think that at some point you've got to turn around and, and say, look, these these fans are here to be entertained. Let's let's play some stylish football and and also try and be successful while we're at it. So that that's what Redknapp style was all about, and that's what that Tottenham team was all about. And you know, there's there's a lot of cult heroes who who have come out of it, um, and and a lot a lot of players who who will look back at and, and think 
they they really were they were really it when they were playing in the Tottenham shirt and that's 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 something we can look back on and, and be proud of. Brendan at James underscore Watts fourteen, he says one of the nights where it was bouncing was that win versus Inter Milan. For him, one of the best games and atmospheres he's ever witnessed. Is that a fair statement? It's certainly up there. Yeah, I mean, it was it was crackling the atmosphere that night. White Hart Lane under the lights in the Champions League. Uh, again, so we mentioned the swagger, the swashbuckling. It was incredible, and there was a confidence to the team. I had no doubt that we'd win that game, even though that we we'd lost four three to them away with with the bale hat trick. That home tie, I don't I don't know why. I just this is these the champions of Europe we're playing, and I had full confidence that we would win that game. And it was it was beautiful. It was the the taxi from for my con game as well, when Bale just kept outpacing him, who who was one of the best right backs in the world at the time. Um, so it was an incredible game. Uh, Crouch getting a guard. I think Pavlochenko got another one as well. Um, this this was the European champions, uh, and we've just completely outplayed them at White Hart Lane. So yeah. It's certainly up there as, as certainly one of the most memorable games in recent history and uh, certainly of, of, the, of the Redknapp era. And Carl, on a similar vibe, April 2010, Danny Rose versus Arsenal. When it comes to debut goals, they don't get much better than that, do they? No, you know, and that's a goal that you know will always get played and will get played for God knows how many years into the future when that fixture comes around, won't it? Um, yeah, as you say, a dream debut um, one of the goals that you just put in your highlight reels um, all the time of Spurs goals um, and again like as you say it was that kind of football wasn't it you know we, we haven't touched on it yet and, and I'm, I'm sure we, you know we might be coming to it but we, who can also forget that night um, you know the 9-1 win against Wigan um, you know again that's a result that just sticks in the memory uh, and that was the sort of thing Harry's sides could do well, that leads us nicely on to the next point because at Danny Spurs 1882 says it was just genuine. You know, we never played football like that in the modern era before. You know, like I said earlier, it was just so new, fresh. And I think a perfect example of that, James, is a 9-1 because that was an emphatic victory, wasn't it? Yeah, and I think one of the things I remember about that night so so vividly is that we weren't actually the TV pick that night either. Nope. And I, I, I can't remember who they put on instead, but I remember being absolutely livid at whichever rubbish game we were watching instead of watching Jermaine Defoe dismantle Wigan. Uh, yeah, it was, that was, that was a, a special night. And, uh, and, and again, another one that's, that's going to live long in the memory. And I think that, that just summed us up as a team. Everyone really clicked that night. And it, and it wasn't even the likes of Gareth Bale that night. It was, it was your Aaron Lennon, your Jermaine Defoe, who, who really stole the show. And, and, and it's, it's just a, it's a really good memory. Even, even Nico Cranchard, put him on in off the crossbar towards the end. Um, you know, that's that's just a great memory and, and I still can't believe that it actually happened. But yeah, I, I certainly I think if you asked someone like Jermaine Defoe, someone who's had such a, a long career, he, even he'd remember a night like that as a, as a really special one. Um, so yeah, I mean, great, great memories of that. I'm glad you mentioned Nico Cranchard. I was worried we wouldn't go... Um throughout the episode without mentioning the gorgeous Croatian. But yes, you did. Good, mem- good memory on that front. So, Brendan, in, talk- in terms of um, strikers, Robbie Keane, Jermaine Defoe, if no coincidence really that as soon as Red that come in, well, not soon, as soon as he was allowed to buy forwards, those were the two that he got back in. And thankfully, fortunes turned around quite quickly with those two in the fold. Yeah, they, they are players that sort of fit his mould. They're, they're Premier League players. They're proven Premier League, so there would be no 
uh, period of adaptation, getting used to the pace of the Premier League. You knew you knew what you were getting. I think we brought Crouch in as well because Crouch was on our books as a, as a youth player back in the late nineties. So he came back as well. It was like a a reunion. It was like the office Christmas special again. And um, so yeah, th- those two players were proven it didn't work out for for Robbie Keane at Liverpool for whatever reason. But he came back and did a job for us. And and Defoe and Crouch and and the other strikers that came in through his era. We mentioned Adabayor, um, <laughs> Saha as well. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're true Tottenham players. I think I, I love watching Jermaine Defoe play. Uh, he joined us relatively young uh, and scored a bucket load of goals when we weren't playing that great. So, um, yeah, it was great for him to come back. And we got relatively decent prices for them as well. I think uh, I think Portsmouth were having a bit of a fire sale at the time. So we uh, we didn't overspend on them and they delivered. Carl, another striker that we um, got in through that era was Pavlichenko. So at Heinz Ray and also Jill Lewis have referenced the uh, time when he was told to run around a bit there's also a swear word but I won't reference it and then he pops up and gets a winner against Liverpool so what did you make of the real beast from the east yeah I mean, and, and again that's part of the sort of charm of Harry Redknapp isn't it you know it is nothing too complicated no, I mean, don't drop into spaces or that just just have him run around a bit will you and do something <laughs> um, and I think as he said didn't he you know the guy used to have a translator with him everywhere he went because he couldn't speak a word of a word of English um, and I think Harry said before you know half the time I don't think he actually knew what I was asking him to do um <laughs> He was a real hit and miss player, but a cult player for us, wasn't he? You know, he could be dire for sort of 89 minutes and then suddenly smashing a 40, 35, 40 yard screamer and suddenly he's a hero. And that's not forget, you know, one of the things that we have to thank Pavlichenko for was our early Champions League campaign because it looked like it was all going tits up in traditional Spurs fashion against young boys. Oh, yeah. Until he popped up and smashed in that away goal that kind of then give us a little bit of confidence we could, you know, at home, seal them off. Um, so, yeah, a, a real strange player for us. Yeah, he, he he was very hit and miss, but when he was hit, he could score some screamers, and I'm sure you, you could put together a pretty decent compilation of Pavlichenko goals for Spurs, and a lot of them, you'd actually sit back and go, God, I'd forgotten about that goal, but look at that mm-hmm. strike. What a goal it was. Um and yeah, you know, and all because a manager just told him to run around a bit. James, someone who didn't have the same level of affection with either fans or manager was Darren Bent. So at Bowden 2004, references the golden miss that Bent had against, I can't remember who it was now, was it Portsmouth at home? Yeah, I think it was. And Yeah, Portsmouth. Yeah, yeah. and Harry said, you know, Sandra could have scored that. I think really after that, the writing was on the wall for young Bent, wasn't it? Yeah, I think he was our record signing at the time as yeah. well, wasn't he? So uh, it's a shame that that one never worked out. Um, I, I think he he'll probably always be remembered at Spurs for that one miss, even though he probably scored some some quite important goals. Um, you know, I, I I love I love all the uh, the cult heroes that are coming out. It's a couple of a couple of weeks ago I said that Pavlichenko was my favourite kind of left field. <laughs> Kind of Tottenham player. What, I mean, what what a bloke as well as as what a player. And even even players like Fraser Campbell, you know, absolutely <laughs> instrumental in our in our run to the to the cup final, wasn't he? In in that uh, in that season. So I mean, there's some real some real cult heroes who have come out of that era. Who, who as I say, probably not as good at, 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 as 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 others, uh, but also they've got a big 
a big place in our hearts because of because of uh, how how they performed in the Spurs shirt. And Pavlichenko is is top of that list for myself. I think he he uh, he really turned it on sometimes, but then was also pretty pathetic at other times. Now, I, I don't think Darren's I don't think Darren's ever forgiven us for that, has he? Because no. if you ever listen to him on Talk Sport now, he can't wait to stick the boot in. And I think the Sandra comment has always stuck a little bit with him, unfortunately. Yeah, you can tell he's anti Spurs now, absolutely. So you mentioned a big place in our hearts. Also, someone who fits that bill massively is Ray Clements and unfortunately he's no longer with us so Cole you're a bit older than me Uncle Cole of the show so have you got any words you can say to sort of anyone who didn't really appreciate or get to see Clements in his pomp? Yeah I think it was a really sad day yesterday because you know Ray Ray is an actual hero you know and anyone you know my era you know growing up watching that 80s side um, Ray was one of those characters that you know he was loud he was boisterous he was funny he was a great guy you know I've got memories of going to the Spurs training ground at Cheson and he was always one of those players more than happy to have a photo give you an autograph would stand there and chat to you for a for a bit of time he really is a true Spurs legend um, and I have to say he's one of those goalkeepers now that anytime Spurs sign a goalkeeper you are benchmarking them against the likes of Clements um, coming forward because he was such a great goalkeeper not only for us but for Liverpool I mean when you look at what the guy won for Liverpool um, before he joined us you actually realise how good a keeper he was because as well, you know, he was playing in a side that had possession for most of the game, but was still at the top of his game to pull off great saves. You know, would have got a lot more England caps if it hadn't been for Shilton being around at the time. Um, just a true, a, a true legend of the club. And like I say, a real sad day and a guy that, you know, will miss. Um, and you just like to say, you know, all, all your know, wishes to his family at the moment. Um, and, and I'm sure, you know, if, if, yeah, we weren't in this COVID time. I'm, I'm telling you now, wherever that funeral was, I think you'd see you'd see plenty of Spurs fans wanting to turn up uh, and put some flowers down and show their respects because he was a true footballing legend and it was a sad day for the club. Absolutely, Carl. Really class words there, mate. Really appreciate that. And on that, I guess, sad note, it's time for full time, but it's been a great episode, so let's not try and dwell on that too much. But of course, you know, everyone from the show sends our respects to the Clements family. Brendan, thanks for your return to action this evening. I hope you enjoyed that, mate. Oh, I loved it, mate. Thanks for having me. Cheers, Dan. Thanks, James. Thanks, Carl. No problem, mate. We'll have you back in the fold soon. James, thanks for patrolling the middle of the park this evening and talking all things Redknapp. No problem. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Quite nostalgic for myself being uh, being the show's uh, baby. But yeah, uh, very, very, very good to, to chat about that. Cheers, guys. And Carl, I don't think we'll do an AVB episode because that'll probably last all of five minutes, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think any of us have got too many no. fond memories of that era, so we'll, we'll skip over that one, mate. Yeah, we'll, we'll find another manager for March, but it's been uh, great to wind back the years. Any other ideas, let us know, and we, who knows, we might find another retro episode to do. So, with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy, and as always, come on, you Spurs. For Spurs fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best Tottenham videos and podcasts, download the free Coys app now from the App Store and Google Play.